It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the moment last. Just well, welcome to Dishing down. Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavist, licensed nutritionist and certified nutrition specialist. This show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company providing life-changing nutrition education. You know, talk about life-changing nutrition. If you did not hear last week's show about MS, then I encourage you to listen to the podcast because both Tina Beeler and Karen Maney shared their story about the remarkable improvements that they have had in their health and in the management of their MS. And I really want to thank both of you for sharing your story. And I believe giving hope to others with MS. It's your stories are really powerful. And I think it's the, it really talks about the power of real nutrition and when you can really make a difference in your MS symptoms. So we have planned another great show today. And to help me carry this show out, and the plan is Cara Carper, who is also a licensed nutritionist with a master's, de- master's degree in holistic healing and holistic health, isn't holistic it? Holistic health. Yes. yes. Okay. So good morning, Cara. Welcome. Good morning. We both got here through all the construction. So. We did. We made it. We're safe and sound. And we are very, very pleased today to have a special guest, Dr. William Davis, he is the author of the New York Times bestselling book called Wheat Belly. Many of you have probably heard of that book. Yes. And he's going to join us today to share his expertise and enlighten you about the dangers of eating wheat. So Dr. Davis is not only an author of this very popular book, Wheat Belly, but he is also a very busy cardiologist and a seeker of nutritional truths. And so welcome to the show, Dr. Davis. Well, Good morning you. to you. Good morning. I'm so happy to have you on the show this morning. So what, as a cardiolo- cardiologist, what inspired you to take time to write this book? <laughs> well, because of the incredible effects I was seeing, Darlene, I started out because I was trying to find better ways to gain better control over heart disease risk, coronary disease risk. Well, so and, uh, that's interesting. You've got a connection between... I think you've got a connection between wheat and your health, your heart health, then. A big connection. Okay. Uh, one of the biggest connections is blood sugar. In other words, if you and I were to just poll the average everyday American, you would find that about two-thirds have diabetes or pre-diabetes, and that was, that was what, exactly what was happening in my office. Mm-hmm. So I wanted a better way to gain control over diabetes and pre-diabetes because if you, if you maintain those conditions, you will have increased heart disease risk. So I used very, very simple uh, logic, and this is already uh, in every table of glycemic index, and that is two slices of whole wheat bread raise your blood sugar higher than six teaspoons of table sugar and higher than many candy bars. Established glycemic index fact. I think that's a just, I think we should just pause mm-hmm. on that thought, of just that, because you said two slices of bread raises your blood sugar more than a candy bar, basically, is what you just said. Yes. I, I think that people would have a hard time getting their head around that one. Any skeptic can, can explore it themselves. All you got to do is buy a $10 uh, glucose meter 
and check your own blood sugar one hour after you consume any food, including two slices of whole wheat bread, and you'll see that blood sugar is sky high. I've done this many times. Okay. <laughs> if, you take, if you take the wheat out then, so I reasoned if you take the wheat out, what happens to blood sugar? Let's find out. So we did that. And what you see is dramatic reductions in blood sugar. But I started to see all these other things unfold. I started to see marked reductions in waist size. Two or three inches in one month was very common. Loss of 20 pounds in a month. Loss of 30, 40 pounds in two or three months. People would report other things, though. They would tell me how their rheumatoid arthritis had improved so much they stopped two drugs. Or their asthma was so much better they threw away two inhalers. Their leg edema improved. Their acid reflux disappeared for the first time in 10 years. Their cramps and diarrhea of irritable, irritable bowel syndrome disappeared. Their headaches disappeared. Uh, their PMS symptoms were markedly improved. Their mood improved. In other words, I started to see not just a reduction in blood sugar, but transformations in multiple facets of health. So it's kind of interesting, Dr. Davis. Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought for a minute I thought maybe we lost you there for a minute. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because we're really on board with everything you say in your book, and we've been talking about this with clients and listeners for, you know, c- c- many years now. But I think, you know, kind of a, as a follow-up question, because, you know, we're, we're there working with people, and we say now it's time to give up your wheat and give up your bread and give up your pasta and give up your cupcakes and all those things. And people often come back and say, well, yeah, but it, bread's been around forever. It's like it's a staff of life. So, you know, give us a little bit about what's happened to wheat and what has been the changes in wheat. So why is it not working for people as it used to be fine for people? You know, maybe 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So does that that question make sense to you? Absolutely. You okay. make a crucial issue, and that is the wheat of today is nothing like the wheat of 1950 when our mothers had it. It's certainly nothing like the wheat of the Bible or the years that precede the Bible. In other words, if we judge this just by the simple number of chromosomes, in other words, all humans have 46 chromosomes, whether you're a nice a housewife in Minnesota, <laughs> whether you're a, a, a Mabenga pygmy tribesman, in Africa, all of us share 46 chromosomes. Modern wheat has 42 chromosomes. The wheat of the Bible has 28 chromosomes. Hmm. The wild wheat that humans first uh, harvested had 14 chromosomes. In other words, we're talking about marked changes, but the most marked changes, the most important changes to modern humans are the changes introduced by geneticists in the 70s, the 60s and 70s in efforts to increase the yield of this crop. Now, by the way, this predates the techniques of genetic modification. The wheat lobby is very angry with me, mm-hmm. and they say that Dr. Davis says that wheat has been genetically modified. Actually, I've never said that. What I've been saying is that the techniques used to change this thing called modern wheat required techni- techniques that were less predictable, far more crude, and much worse than genetic modification. One of the great ironies in this is there's a public outcry now to stop or at least let us know if a crop has been genetically modified. But the techniques used to change wheat in the 60s and 70s were far worse than the modern techniques of gene splicing and gene modification. So we now have on our store shelves the end product of extensive and often bizarre techniques 
Uh, they're already on our shelves. We've been consuming them for about 40 years. And so modern wheat, modern wheat flour, whether it's white flour, whole grain, multigrain, anything, sprouted, all that stuff comes from a two-foot-tall, short, stocky, semi-dwarf plant that yields about tenfold more per acre than the stuff of 1950 or 1960. Now, you cannot change something to that degree and not introduce unique biochemical changes into its uh, compounds, into its components, and that's exactly what they did. Hmm. You know what I think is so interesting in your book, and this really painted a whole picture for me, is the difference in DNA between humans and apes. (laughs) And then you're talking about there's even more of a difference between the wheat today and how that used to be. Now, that's pretty interesting, I think. <laughs> exactly right. You know, I, I did that to give everyone perspective. If you and I, we all share 46 chromosomes, and an orangutan has 48 chromosomes. Uh, and so there's tremendous overlap. Geneticists often say there's about 95% overlap between our genetics and that of a chimpanzee and orangutan. But you and I can judge the difference pretty clearly, right? Right, right. That's a more <laughs> obvious, I think, metaphor for people. <laughs> yeah. The, the distance between wheat of today, I point this out because people often say exactly what Darlene uh, uh, highlights, and that is, well, gee, it's the staff of life. It's been around. It's in the Bible. It is in the Bible. That's right. But that's not what we have. We have something entirely different. We have something that is not natural, something that is not normally sustainable in nature. This thing is artificial. It only grows with human coddling. And so this is a very, very different plant. It looks different. It's biochemically. One of the things I should uh, inform your reader, your, your listeners about is that one of the critical changes introduced into modern wheat is a modest shift in the structure of the gliadin protein. The gliadin protein is now a very powerful opiate, an opiate just like heroin or morphine or oxycontin, except this opiate, it finds the opiate receptors of the brain, does not give you a high, it stimulates appetite. So, so you know, it, Dr. Davis, let's hold on that because we, we do have uh, to take a quick break, but that's a, when we come back, let's talk more about that. Okay. So you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and losing weight, as many of you know, is so much more than calories in and calories out. And recent research reported in Science Daily found a connection to the bacteria living in people's intestinal tracts and their metabolism. So what they found was that certain bacteria in the intestinal tract actually activate the body's brown fat. Now, brown fat is key to good metabolism because it burns calories before they are stored as body fat. And we've been teaching this in our weight and wellness classes for years Brown fat is the fat that surrounds your organs and runs up and down your, down your spine, and it burns calories. The white fat is what's stored around your belly and your waist and stores calories. So really what we're saying is that this new research is proving what we've known clinically yes. for years. <laughs> you know, we find that the beneficial bacteria, bif- called bifidobacteria, supports metabolism, reduces cravings, even can reduce colon cancer risk by 50%. So I guess the research is starting to catch up with the clinical practice of nutrition that we use at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. So please do give us a call today if you have questions for Dr. Davis, and it's 651-641-1071.
When something is simple, it's called a cakewalk or easy as pie. Funny how there's no easy as pie diet. But now there is a plan to make shedding pounds simpler. It's called Nutrition for Weight Loss. That's right, using Nutrition for Weight Loss. Created by the nutrition experts at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, Nutrition for Weight Loss will teach you the secret to losing weight and keeping it off. Nutrition for Weight Loss will create a personalized plan for you. It will bump up your metabolism to help you burn more calories. And there's no frozen prepackaged or liquid meals. You eat real food. With Nutrition for Weight Loss, you never get that hungry, haggard feeling. The program uses the latest in nutritional science to keep you feeling satisfied. And you'll love the bounce in your energy level. Find out more about Nutrition for Weight Loss. Call 651-699-3438 or online. It's weightandwellness.com. That's weightandwellness.com. Getting the body you want is easier than you think with Nutrition for Weight Loss. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist, and I'm here with Kara Carper, licensed nutritionist, and Dr. William Davis, who is a cardiologist and author of Wheat Belly. And um, I know if you have questions about wheat and the side effects, you can give us a call here at the station. It is 651-641-1071. And we were talking just before break, weren't we, Kara? Yes, we were talking about, Dr. Davis brought up a really interesting point about how eating wheat actually activates opiate receptors and, I mean, create they're basic, basically creates appetite hunger. and yeah. hunger. And so, you know, we know from reading the book and from meeting with clients that wheat is truly addictive and some people experience a very hard time getting off and staying off of wheat. It's very similar to uh, any other chemical addiction like alcohol or, or even heroin. So it r- makes me think about clients who cannot give up their crackers. Oh, a lot of people like that. Yeah, their chips, Friday night pizza. Oh, yes. They're not ready, not willing to do that. Families become to addicted. They become addicted to wheat products very early in life. So, Dr. Davis, what are some of the symptoms people experience when they try to give up wheat? Or even if you maybe want to kind of expand on your conversation about how it is so addictive. Yes, so that that's the that's the essential fact, isn't it? That this thing is addictive. Mm-hmm. It is an opiate. So this has been known for over thirty years. It's not been much talked about, but the gliadin protein of wheat is an opiate. It binds to opiate receptors, and you can block it, by the way, with opiate recepting drug uh, blocking drugs. And in fact, a drug company filed its application about a year ago for the drug naltrexone. Naltrexone is already on the market. Mm-hmm. Opiate addict, uh, that is, heroin addicts take it. But this company proposes to sell it as a weight loss drug because people who take this opiate blocking drug lose, on average, 26 pounds in six months by cutting calories about 400 calories per day. By the way, that 400 calories per day is a recurring theme when it comes to wheat. If you eat wheat, you consume about 400 to 440 more calories per day. If you take wheat out of the equation, you cut your calorie intake by about 400 to 440 calories per day. And that if, if we, so you two know that uh, calories in, calories out is a flawed concept. Yes. <laughs> if, we, if, we, if we accepted that, just to get a sense for how much weight that means, that means 40 to 45 pounds weight in one year. It's an incredible effect. Where there's addiction, there's withdrawal. And so about a third of the people who stop eating wheat go through a very distinct withdrawal syndrome. 
the Adkins people used to call this Adkins flu or induction flu, but it's due to the wheat. It's not due to the sugars. It's not due to the cornstarch. It's due to the gliadin protein wheat. And you feel real tired and sad, sometimes outright depression. You can't exercise. And this generally lasts about three to five days or so, occasionally longer, occasionally shorter, but most people have it for three to five days. But then you come out of it feeling wonderful, and that's when also weight loss begins to plummet. But there's a very, very distinct withdrawal syndrome from this opiate in wheat. So about 30% will experience that, and what you're saying is push through that because the results will be phenomenal after that three to five days. Yes, I, I know of no other uh, way around it. In other words, I don't know of a way to not have mm-hmm. withdrawal if you're prone to it. And by the way, people who have that withdrawal are also very prone to what I call re-exposure syndromes. In other words, you've been, let's say you've been nice and weed-free for six months. You feel great. You lost 35 pounds. Uh, all the gastrointestinal distress you used to have is gone. The skin rash you had is gone, etc. And then you say, what the heck, I'll have that cracker or I'll have that piece of birthday cake, and it all comes rushing right back within minutes to hours. Exactly. Days to weeks, yeah. It's a very, very distinct on-again, off-again phenomenon. I think I saw at least two or three clients like that that who had relapsed from their eating plan, and what it was, they relapsed into eating some crackers or a little Mm -hmm. pizza, you know, if they got the, the wheat back into their diet again and um they know that they knew right away that they weren't feeling very well so so people are so falsely reassured by mm-hmm. all the advice around us right to eat more mm-hmm. healthy whole grains is good for you prevents diabetes and heart disease well and people you know and we had a question actually the caller's off air um but over break was wondering you know are sprouted grains okay what about that high fiber what about whole grain whole wheat you know, yes. people want to hang on to their bread, you can tell. <laughs> what do you have to say about that? <laughs> great, great question. So if we sprout it, sprout the seed in water, or if we don't use herbicide or pesticide that is organic, if we uh, sourdough ferment it, uh, in other words, if we do all these things, does it really change at the core what this thing is? No. So, for instance, if you sourdough ferment it, you might reduce a little bit of the lectin content, but this thing remains much the same. It still has the same amylopectin A that Scott causes your blood sugar to skyrocket. It still has the same wheat germagglutinin that causes direct toxic effects on your intestinal tract. It still has the gliadin protein that acts as an opiate. In other words, it might be slightly different, but it is still the same stuff, still coming from the same semi-dwarf high-yield plant. So, Cara, can we take a caller, do you think? Yeah, this looks like a perfect caller. Okay. Good morning, Charlotte. Um, do you have a question for Dr. Davis on wheat and the connection to heart health? I do. Um, I am experiencing some what I guess is being called PVCs, and um, I've recently gone through a whole bunch of tests on my heart, and I have low blood pressure, low pulse, um, no heart damage, no blood clots. I'm not diabetic. Um, and I'm continuing to go through some additional testing, and I will be meeting with a cardiologist within a week or so. And I'm on a heart monitor right now just to kind of t- uh, check on all of that. I'm wondering what effect wheat has on any of that and what, what goes on inside of your heart. 
if he could address that issue. Well, you know what? We just lost Dr. Davis on the line, and I'm sure he'll be calling right back in. We're not sure if he heard the question. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, But um, what we're going to try to do is come back with, you know, when he comes back and connects again. Okay. um, And try to answer your question. And, um, you know, um, is, is Dr. Davis connected again? I just got back. Okay. Oh, good. Dr. Davis, did you by chance hear Charlotte's question? Sorry, I did not. Okay, okay, Charlotte, repeat it really quickly again for Dr. Davis. Now we lost Charlotte. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So this is a, a client that or a listener that called in that was having, she has no high blood pressure, no insulin resistance, no diabetes, and she's having... Uh, extra PVCs is is her so she's getting the extra kind of heart rush or the irregular heartbeat basically so listeners know what that is uh irregular heartbeats and she was wondering is there a connection between that and wheat and what, what would be the connection there is a connection Good. uh but it's very difficult uh to establish cause-effect relationships with these kinds of things because there's lots of other things that cause these so-called uh, premature ventricular contractions or PVCs. I have seen many people, I'll meet them, for instance, with these PVCs or related uh, abnormal heart rhythms that go away with wheat elimination. I don't know why that is. Not to say all PVCs go away with wheat elimination, but a substantial number of people with PVCs do have relief. I don't know why. I can only speculate. You know, one of the things that the wheat germ agglutinin, this unusual lectin protein in wheat does, is it's incredibly inflammatory. It raises all markers of inflammation. It causes the abnormal entry of uh, multiple foreign substances from your intestinal tract into your bloodstream because it unlocks all the normal intestinal barriers. And lectins, by the way, are also direct toxins to the intestinal tract. If I feed an animal lectins, it destroys the intestinal tract. You can get ulcerative colitis just by consuming wheat germagglutinin, the stuff that's concentrated, by the way, in wheat germ. Hmm. Uh, so i got to believe that this incredible flood of inflammatory substances into the bloodstream that <clears throat> occurs when you have wheat in your diet has something to do with the PVCs. The only way to establish cause-effect is to stop eating wheat and see if they go away. So, Dr. Davis, would you repeat that one about wheat germ? Um, yeah, yeah you know, because I've always felt that that wasn't a healthy product. <laughs> but go repeat that one more time for people. Yeah, ironically, wheat germ is often regarded as a perfect health food. Mm-hmm. It's actually a perfect poison. So we, <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting. Plants have uh, a need to protect themselves. They need to pr- protect themselves mm-hmm. from insects and molds and fungi. We have T lymphocytes and antibodies and such. Plants have much more primitive and simple means of protecting themselves. They have something called lectins. Lectins are thereby, by definition, potentially poisonous. So ricin, ricin is a, is a lectin. Ricin was used in the subway terrorist attack in Tokyo to try to kill people. It's a neurotoxin. Well, wheat germagglutinin is also a lectin. Not all lectins are poisons. Lots of plants have lectins, and they're fairly benign. But the lectin in wheat is likewise a poison. By the way, the, the lectin of wheat was genetically engineered into a specific strain of corn because it has an insecticidal property. So it's actually used as an insecticide. So wheat germagglutinin, if I feed it to a laboratory rat or, mo- or mouse, causes direct toxic effects. 
it causes changes very similar to ulcerative colitis. That is not the whole wheat plant, just the wheat germaglutinin. So you and I consume wheat, we get this wheat germaglutinin lectin, and it causes two effects, direct toxic effects, direct toxic destruction, and then two, an abnormal disabling of the normal intestinal barriers. It's very similar, by the way, to cholera. It causes open access of foreign proteins, including bacterial byproducts. This is probably the reason why people who consume wheat have more inflammatory diseases, such as lupus, rheumatoid arthritis. Several autoimmune diseases. Dr. Davis, sorry to interrupt you. We do need to take another break, though. Um, We'll talk more. It sounds like you were getting into some autoimmune conditions, and we, we see that connection a lot in our office as well. Uh, But you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Now, if you have weight to lose, whether it's 10 pounds or 100, we can help you be successful. Um, So following the real food menu from Nutrition for Weight Loss, you'll have more energy, you'll be less achy, better moods, you're going to sleep better and lose body fat. So it's a great program, this Nutrition for Weight Loss, these classes and counseling. And a new series is starting up Tuesday, May 22nd. So you can sign up online at weightandwellness.com, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm very pleased to announce that Nutritional Weight and Wellness is now open in Maple Grove. And to make an appointment or check out a class uh, or ask a question, just call 763-657-1730. Or you can just stop in and say hello, and uh, Jean, Marla, Pam, Cassie, and Brenna, they're all there ready to help you achieve your health goals. So, Cara, we were talking before we left on break about... We were talking, well, he was just starting to get into the connection between a part of wheat, I believe Mm -hmm. the lectins, the toxins, and autoimmune conditions like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. So we, We certainly see it with clients, so... Yeah. Do you want to finish what you're saying about that? It's just really important information. Sure, Cara. So consumption of wheat that, is, uh, that contains this wheat germaglutinin or lectin uh, causes, is associated with the, an incredible array of inflammatory diseases such as lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, uh, polymyalgia rheumatica, polymyositis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Uh, the list is many pages long. Uh, the incredible thing, the wonderful thing, is if we can persuade, say, someone with rheumatoid arthritis to go weed-free, their symptoms improve dramatically, almost always. But it doesn't happen right away. One of the peculiar things I see is that while phenomena like acid reflux disappears usually within three days for many people. Oh, we've seen this over and mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And blood triggers go down within days to weeks, and headaches just within days. The inflammatory conditions take many months, but I've seen uh, incredible turnarounds in these diseases over six months to a year or longer. I I have a guy I just saw recently who, uh, after six months of being wheat-free, his disabling disabling and disfiguring rheumatoid arthritis was about 80-90% better after a year, almost gone, after two years, completely gone. So it took a long time. And by the way, he went to Germany where uh, he was uh, tempted by the rye bread, and he said, well, I'll be darned if I'm here my, own, my only time in my lifetime to, uh, in Germany, I'm going to have some rye bread. He had some, and he had the worst flare-up of his entire life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very distinct mm-hmm. effect, but the people who have inflammatory, inflammatory conditions have to be aware that's a very long-term effort. It won't happen over three days. 
You know, it's so interesting, Dr. Davis, that when we're working with clients, uh, some clients are ready to just jump on this eating plan and they and because if it's going to make them feel better, they're going to do it. And they're just really, they're right on it and they give up their wheat and they, you know, they basically often give up most of their grains and and start eating vegetables and they start feeling much better. And as you said, inflammatory response just diminishes. But then once in a while when you're out in the regular, you know, you're not in your office <laughs> and you're just talking to people and they're so resistant to the whole idea or the thought that they would give up bread. It's just, it's miss mind boggling. I guess it's just that they hear the advertising that uh, we need all this bread in our diet and they think it's right and it's addictive. I mean, let's face it, it's very addicting and if people, they just don't want to give up their addiction, even if they would have less problems with their rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know. Have you found that to be true, too? Absolutely. You and I can have the, we can have the perfect solution. We can have the perfect evidence. We can have everything. We can have <clears throat> case studies after case studies proving association. But some people just don't want to hear it. You know, it, it's the only food I know of that will cause someone to break down in tears when you ask them to remove it. You ask <laughs> someone to remove it because mm-hmm. they're, they're 100 pounds overweight, they have diabetes, they have leg swelling, they, they have thyroid disease and funny skin rashes, and they have that funny red rash along the side of their nose, the whole, everything associated with wheat. And you tell them this is the wheat syndrome. If you get rid of it, you will be cured. And they break down sobbing, crying. Now, it, let's, let's pretend for a moment it was cucumbers instead that caused all that. Of course, it does not. <laughs> but what if it was cucumbers and we said, listen, you've got to get rid of the cucumbers? People would say, well, of course, sure, no problem. <laughs> That's right. Cucumbers are not <laughs> addictive. <laughs> exactly right. Nothing has the addictive power of the wheat gliden protein. You know, I find that even for people, they're, able to, they're willing and able to give up sugar long before they're willing and able to give up wheat. And it's it's amazing. I, and I think it's been some of the things that we've been programmed to think. I think sugar has gotten a bad name, which it should. It's still inflammatory. But it maybe isn't quite as addictive as wheat is. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a crucial point because people often say it can't be the wheat. It's got to be the sugar. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, this is what I see. I think you ladies see the same thing. If you take sugar out of the diet, you lose a couple of pounds. That's the end of the story. You take wheat out of the diet, you lose an incredible amount of weight for most people, and you lose the desire for sweet. Here, here's another thing I see a lot of. People who are wheat-free not only lose their desire for sweet, they have a heightened sensitivity to the sense of sweet. And if after, say, three to six months of being wheat-free, they have something they formerly thought was an indulgence and they loved it, now is sickeningly sweet. They can't eat it anymore at all. And so there's a very, very uh, heightened uh, taste perception, and you taste things differently. Your hunger is less. You appreciate food more, and you don't desire the junk foods as much as you did. So I don't think the first step in this downward spiral of diet is sugar. The first step is the glide in protein of wheat. So, um, Cara, you were going to... Do we have time for a quick question before we take a break? or Maybe we should take a break okay, and then have a little come bit. back. Okay. Yeah, because we only have one minute left. Because um, I want to talk about fatty liver, insulin resistance. We have so many more questions. Yes. <laughs> but let's just take another break. And, you know, 
If you have looked at all of the gluten-free products on the market, you're going to find that food companies are substituting wheat flour with rice flour and potato starch. So is that the way to go? Well, the answer is no. Things like rice flour and potato starch are very high in carbohydrates, and they will actually cause insulin resistance and weight gain around the middle. So safe gluten-free wheat flour, or excuse me, safe gluten or wheat-free flours to use would include things like almond meal, ground pecans, walnuts, coconut flour, or ground flaxseed. And we'll be back in a minute. Nutrition. As you can tell, we would really recommend that you pick up Wheat Belly. It's a great book. And you can get it at your favorite bookstore. You can order it on Amazon.com. And Dr. Davis, do you you have a website and probably a Facebook page? And how do people get a hold of you or if they have sure, questions? The easiest, the easiest <clears throat> place to, to join these conversations is the Wheat Belly blog, wheatbellyblog.com. Okay. And I also put, re- so uh, Car raised a very important issue, <clears throat> and that is uh, the, there, there are companies now coming out with uh, an explosion of gluten-free products. Unfortunately, by not using wheat and trying to recreate the taste and texture of wheat and gluten, they've, they've resorted to use of cornstarch, rice starch, tapioca starch, <clears throat> pardon me, and potato starch. And those are the, among, among the very few foods that raise blood sugar even higher than wheat. And so if you consume those things, you're going to gain weight, grow visceral fat, a tummy. You're going to have diabetes. You're going to have cataracts and arthritis and all the phenomena that result from high blood sugar. So the gluten-free world is a big, big blunder. So I do not advocate that we eat uh, gluten-free foods. So what I do with my time, a lot of my time, is I try to come up with ways to recreate, say, cheesecake, muffins, and cookies without wheat, of course, without those uh, gluten-free junk carbohydrates, yet still enjoy those foods. And you can do it quite well with the ingredients that Carl was mentioning, that is such things as uh, ground almonds and ground other sorts of nuts and seeds and coconut flour and golden uh, flaxseed, etc. You can do a very nice job of recreating these foods if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, you must do the same thing as I do for stress reduction. I chop vegetables and you create new <laughs> recipes. I love it. <laughs> so we have lots of good questions for you. I know. We wish we had you on for hours yes. and hours, but we know your time is very precious. <laughs> but if you could get into something called fatty liver disease, I think... That is something that we're seeing more and more of. And how does wheat, and also, you know, this low-fat eating trend, how do these things create fatty liver, which is basically cirrhosis of the liver? Yes, big problem, right? We're seeing it left and right now. I wish it wasn't called fatty liver. I wish it was called carbohydrate liver. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, unfortunately, because the, um, what happens is people begin to uh, accumulate fat in their liver, and so many people regard this as a fat problem, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's the end result of carbohydrates, such as sucrose or the amylopectin A of wheat, being converted by a process called de novo lipogenesis into fats or triglycerides. And so I consume, let's say, soft drinks and whole wheat bread and chips, and I start to have a flood of carbohydrates in my bloodstream taken up by the liver, it's converted by this process into fats, triglycerides. 
Well, a lot of the fats enter the bloodstream. That's why people who consume low-fat diets and thereby high-carbohydrate diets have high blood triglycerides, high triglyceride-containing particles, but they also accumulate fat deposited in the liver, and the liver gets big, and you get abnormal liver tests, and over many years of that, you get cirrhosis, just like an alcoholic. And it's becoming a very, very big societal problem because we have this nonsense of being told by all official agencies to cut our fat, cut our saturated fat, cut our cholesterol, eat more healthy whole grains, and what results is obesity, diabetes, and fatty liver. So true, so true. And uh, it's a matter of pulling people off of all those processed carbohydrates and reducing and changing them to eating vegetables, basically, and healthy carbohydrates, and you can reverse that process. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? It No, it happens over weeks to months, depending on how bad it was in the first place. Uh, Cirrhosis is irreversible, so no one wants to wait to get cirrhosis. Right. You want to do it in the early phases Mm -hmm. as the the, the telltale signs are the blood test triglycerides uh, and ASTALT, the typical and common liver test. Now, uh, conventional advice says a triglyceride level of 150 or less is is good. That's absolute nonsense. Mm -hmm. You can have fatal heart attack from triglycerides at 149, 120. So anything above 60 I regard as abnormal. The actual biologic perfect level of triglycerides is probably 40 or less. So that's what I do with patients. I try to show them that they want their triglycerides in the 30, 40, or 50 range, uh, and that's where incredible turnarounds in health come. So the sugars and the amylopectin A of wheat cause marked rise in triglycerides and fatty liver. You remove these things, and it all goes away. It's interesting that you say, you know, 40, 50, not higher than 60. In our our classes, we say not higher than 75 for triglycerides. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to we're bring have to our, change that. Yep, we're going to have to change editing that. that. <laughs> you know, as a cardiologist, I know you also talk in your book about the size of LDL cholesterol particles, and that they determine to a large degree, and this is in your book, whether you will have a heart attack or stroke at 57, or whether you'll continue to pull the handle on the casino slot machines at age 87. You know, <laughs> love, we have, your, love your humor. I know. <laughs> we, you know. We have two types of this LDL cholesterol. There's the small, dense kind and the large, fluffy kind. Um, we know that the small, dense kind is the an, often a common cause of heart attacks and strokes. So, what foods will contribute to the small, dense particles? Yeah, very important distinction. So the small, and this gets a little complicated at times, but the small LDL particles are not a little bit worse than large particles. They're much worse. Unfortunately, uh, the LDL cholesterol, the calculated, not measured, the calculated LDL cholesterol on all con- conventional cholesterol panels does not tell you if you have small LDL. It can be hinted at, though, by an HDL less than 60, and a triglyceride level greater than 60. So anybody who's got that combination, it suggests that that calculated LDL value contains within it lots and lots of small LDL particles. It's a rare person, by the way, who does not have small LDL particles. So the only people who I meet for the first time who do not have small LDL particles tend to be slender, premenopausal, athletic females. So that doesn't mean... So if you're a 240-pound housewife or a 250-pound truck driver, it's virtually guaranteed that you have a ton of small LDL particles and thereby much increased risk for heart disease. You get small LDL particles uh, by a reaction that starts with carbohydrates. 
And the worse the carbohydrate and blood sugar effect, the more it triggers the formation of small LDL particles. So amylopectin A in wheat is a flagrant trigger of small LDL, followed by sugars in corn starch, rice starch, potato starch, and other junk carbohydrates. So if we think about this for a moment, the conventional advice to cut our fat, eat more healthy whole grains, causes heart disease. And this is what you're saying. You're a cardiologist. You are... <laughs> You're the expert yes. in this field. So I really appreciate you making this clear to our listeners. You know, The wonderful thing is if you remove wheat and thereby lose the appetite trigger for junk carbohydrates and sugars, small LDL drops like a stone. It often disappears. So we're talking about not 10% improvement or 15 We're talking about often 80 90 or 100% improvement. A typical measure, for instance, of a small LDL might be 2,000 nanomoles per liter. You go wheat-free, lose the desire for junk carbohydrate, drops to zero. It's amazing. Just the power of food and to know what you really should be choosing versus (laughs) listening to TV nutrition Mm -hmm. and the advertising. And even the food pyramid, you know. We can't be having this, I mean, six to ten servings of grains... So, Dr. Davis, we really want to thank you so much for spending an hour with us. I think listeners, you have such great information, and you do it in a fun way in your book, too. Uh, Great sense of humor, but wonderful, wonderful information. And um, I don't know, do you have any other thing that you want to share just before we, you know, I know our time is... about a minute left here. (laughs) About a minute left. Sure. So, so we, we all recognize, all three of us recognize, that we introduce this message into a somewhat skeptical audience for some people. So there's a very simple thing you can do to prove it to yourself, and that is go wheat-free for four weeks and see what happens. And I think more often than not, you'll be pleasantly surprised, and that is beyond the withdrawal process, at what you find. You're going to find that your children learn more quickly. Their behavior is better. You'll find that rash gone. You'll find those joint pains in your hands and elbows disappear. Your sleep is better. You have greater energy. In other words, you'll experience transformations in health. And you can prove that to yourself. No drugs or procedures required. A wonderful thought as, as ending. And again, Dr. Davis, thank you so much for being on with us this morning. And well, thank you. And we really I, appreciate it, your time and yes. information. And uh, we really encourage people to pick up his book, Wheat Belly, and um, you'll enjoy it, and you'll learn so much. Thank you again for listening. Thank you so much. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.